Hello everyone and welcome to Millennial Rewind, where we take a not-so-sentimental look at the movies and TV shows that were around when millennials were growing up. I'm your host Nick, coming to you from really soggy South Carolina, and joining me from the home of Baywatch, the City of Angels, Jules. Jules, how are you doing today? Well, I've been practicing my basketball so I can grow up to be a top-notch detective, Nick. <laughs> Oh, God, that's going to make a whole lot of sense just now. And joining us from a place where they have no bay to watch, the Inland Empire, John. John, how are you doing today? I'm overcoming my fear of heights with the power of friendship. <laughs> <laughs> Again, this is going to make a whole lot of sense just now. So we watched... For the second episode in a row, Baywatch Season 3. The reason why we're doing this is because the episodes we covered last time were not regular Baywatch episodes. They were kind of a special two-parter introducing Pamela Anderson's character, CJ. So we wanted to give you all a taste of what real Baywatch or regular Baywatch was. And John, how would you tell them you watched these episodes without saying the titles of the episodes? <laughs> oh my god. I watched an episode of Baywatch where no one knows what the fuck is going on and also trying to get hired at the same time. <laughs> and the second one is I watched an episode of Baywatch where lifeguards become cops. <laughs> yes, you fucking did. And Jules, if the producers had asked you to come up with different titles for these episodes, what would they be? For Rookie of the Year, it had to be The Odd Couple Without the Intentional Comedy. <laughs> <laughs> Accidentally Hilarious Odd dun, Couple. Dun, 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 yes. Dun, 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 boom. <laughs> and lifeguards can't jump. I mean, it had to be basketball cops policing the unnecessary way. <laughs> oh god, it's so true. Rookie of the Year and Lifeguards Can't Jump are the episodes we're going to take a look at today. Fantastic examples of just the delightful train wreck that is Baywatch. Love it. And so we're kind of break from formula a little bit just because we had already talked about our experiences with Baywatch last time. Y'all don't need to hear that again. So we got a couple of facts for you about the show that we didn't really cover last time. So Baywatch actually came out in 1989, but it was canceled after one season. Why was that, Nick? Because the production company ran out of money and the ratings were bad. I'm not surprised. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> apparently the production companies just could not afford to make the show. This is my surprised face. <laughs> it is very, very surprised. <laughs> but David Hasselhoff would not let Baywatch die. He and the creators, they got the show into syndication and its popularity in syndication allowed it to come back on TV. It basically pulled a family guy before family guy pulled a family guy. And until recently with Supernatural, it became the longest running show to never get an Emmy with 11 seasons. I mean, there's no Emmy for best thong shot. Like there's no Emmy for best, you know, confused genre show. <laughs> best confused genre really does sum up this show. Right. For worst homage episodes. <laughs> There's no Emmy for the most on-the-nose t-shirts. Oh, God. 
that we're bringing this up during Life God's Con Jump, right? Yes, yes we are. Yes. Absolutely. The t-shirt that is not aged well. <laughs> or or they have sadly not aged at all, I think is the point. They're sadly still relevant over 30 years later. And on that super positive note, we're going to take a break and we're going to start breaking down our first episode of Baywatch. Dude, you left your dishes in the sink again. I'll do them later. You're violating our roommate agreement. God, you're so stuck up. Ugh. Has this ever happened to you? Hi, I'm Rick Chubber. Roommate conflicts are as old as time, and usually there's nothing you can do about them. Until now. Introducing Rick Chubber's patented erogenous zone sharing technique for roommate conflict resolution. Let's see how this little spat could have gone. Dude, you left your dishes in the sink again. I'm really into having my belly button rubbed. All of a sudden, I don't care as much and feel really close to you as a person. Much better. Through the simple act of sharing the obscure parts of your body that get you aroused sexually, you can diffuse any roommate-related tension almost instantly. From basic inconsideracies... John, you clogged the toilet! I fucking love getting my elbows licked. No worries, bro. I got it. To gross violations of personal space. Dude, get out. Tying the doorknob means I'm having sex with my girlfriend. I seriously can't get enough of dunking my little toe in pudding and just swirling. Oh my god, me too. Sharing your weird sex stuff can help create the peaceful and fulfilling roommate situation you deserve. Rick Chubber's erogenous zone sharing technique for roommate conflict resolution. This was seriously a plot point in Baywatch. (laughs) 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 All right, and we're back. And the first episode we're going to break down is Rookie of the Year. So this is like two episodes after the two-parter we broke down last episode. And we open up on a day at a beach. And David Hasselhoff rolls up in his truck and he sees someone in the water that he thinks is drowning and he calls for backup. Before we get there, as Hoff is driving up the beach, there is the saddest example of kicking a beach ball ever put to screen. I had the same note. I was said, did anyone notice the incredibly <laughs> bored woman I kicking a beach missed ball this. And then she suddenly realizes that she's on camera and she smiles. This is a full-grown woman kicking a giant yellow beach ball with all the enthusiasm of a child being told no ice cream until you finish your asparagus. <laughs> so <true>. I totally <laughs> missed this. She's just slowly kicking it so it doesn't go away and she can stay on camera longer. But she's so sad it's at the same time. It's either that or she's concentrating really hard. Like they had to do three takes before, really beforehand hard. and they kept saying, no, the beach ball keeps getting out of hand. You've got to keep it in this zone. And she was just like, okay, okay. This time I'm getting it. Oh, speaking of things missed, I did go back and find the people alongside the river. It's a very blink and you'll miss it moment. I have yet to find the crotch yurt that Jules was talking about, though. Investigations are still proceeding. <laughs> it is very quick. So David Hasselhoff, you know, calls everybody back up, somebody in the water, and it's just everyone's piling on. CJ, Pamela Anderson, has got the boat, and then 
who's this bald dude? Like you see him in the dude, intro. <laughs> that is exactly what I put. I put in the intro. Oh, bald guy who jumps into the surf during the intro song. Where's your story? And he's in this rescue. I was doing cartwheels. Okay, we yeah. all caught the same thing. It's bald guy from the title sequence. <laughs> yeah, he who doesn't get a credit. There's no. I don't think he gets a credit. He's just the bald dude who dives into the waves. So he's like, yeah, don't worry, Hasselhoff. I'll be there. And, and it's a whole thing. The entire crew is there. The entire crew is there. And it turns out that it's just a paper bag. And everyone's like, ha ha, you thought it was a paper bag, David Hasselhoff. No, he thought it was a person. <laughs> well, yeah, he thought it was a person. It turned out to be a paper. Uh, one. I need to Another sleep one more. Another one blooper reel. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> thing, <yeah. laughs> All right, so Matt Brody, who is the kid who beat the shit out of Summer's dad in the first two-parter, mm-hmm. he shows up at home. He's come back from surfing, and he gives his dad shit about using a typewriter. This is a house by the beach that his parents are clearly kind of rich. And his dad is just typing at a typewriter, smoking the biggest, fattest, clearly fake cigar while he's on this typewriter. And Matt's all like, why don't you get a computer? It'd be up to date. And his dad's got his cigar and he's like, no, this is my lucky typewriter here. Well, he doesn't have that accent. I know, but that's how I wrote it. (laughs) (laughs) What's my point was going to be, there is not a writer in the world who looks like this, who has... (laughs) This kind of self-confidence. I mean, clearly thinks he's Ernest Hemingway. I think that's the aesthetic that he's going for. But he's too much of a douchebag to pull it off. And this is just to create the most contrived father-son conflict. (laughs) Because it's like, you know, oh, dad, you're like, you know, so the dad snipes back. It wasn't even worth remembering. (laughs) And then the guy who plays Matt Brody gets really sad. And I just expected really sad Charlie Brown music to start playing, given (laughs) the way he reacts. Because again, the guy who plays Matt Brody is a terrible actor. We discussed this. And he's like, maybe I should have just been born a machine. Like, what? So Matt's going to go on a sulky motorcycle ride, but before he does, mom shows up. And we find out he actually does speak French. So the Ashante makes sense. <laughs> it makes yeah, sense so for anybody now. who missed the last episode, we gave this character a lot of shit for saying Enchanté when he introduced himself to Summer's mom. It turns out that, no, he actually speaks French with his mother, who is French. I learned some French in high school, whatever, and I couldn't pick up most of it. But basically, why are you going for a motorcycle ride in shorts? <laughs> Because he is, he's going for a motorcycle right in shorts, and he gives some sort of snooty, pouty... They're trying to make him as hateable as possible. They're doing a damn good job, I must say. Wealthy, full of abs, he's French. I mean, I don't know what else you can give this guy to make him more hateable. He could be drowning puppies. I think that's the only way to make him more hateable. And honestly, he's such a whiny little bitch this episode. I wouldn't be surprised if he drowned puppies just out of angst. And he's late all the time. And he's late, as we'll find out. He's late. Seriously. The German inside me just wants to invade. (laughs) Oh, God! (laughs) So now we're at the locker room. (laughs) So now we're at the locker room, and David Hasselhoff is going for a shower in shorts. 
And this music is there either just has been or is about to be a murder. That is the music as he's walking to the show. Absolutely. <laughs> because when he goes in, the other guys who are in the shower showering, who are all wearing shorts, because that's how people shower, apparently. These are never nudes working at Baywatch. You gotta get the sand out of your shorts, you know. Yeah, and other places. And all the male lifeguards who are showering in the shower turn around and they've got bags over their heads and they all make fun of him. <laughs> yeah. Good joke. It's a good joke. Yeah, it's a good joke. Although they did kind of look like the paper bag KKK. Eh. Eh. A little bit. I don't see it. It was spooky. I don't see it. No, it was spooky because there was murder music building up to it. So now we're in the ladies locker room and CJ, Pamela Anderson, and Stephanie. So Stephanie. No, we're not. I think they have separate times. No, no, no. So, So here's the thing. They have separate locker rooms, but they use the same shower. Oh, okay. Yeah, so we're in the ladies' locker room. So Stephanie is the new head of Baywatch, was introduced in a previous episode, used to date Hasselhoff, and she's now in charge of Baywatch. And so they're in the locker room, very excited because they both found a place to live alone that's super affordable, and they're both very excited about the next phase of their lives. And they toast this with shampoo. Mm Mm-hmm. As one does. Yeah, they clink their shampoo bottles together. And now it's time for them to go to the shower. And as mentioned, they go to the same shower that David Hasselhoff and everybody was in. And they've left the paper bags everywhere. And we get a little foreshadowing of our odd couple at this moment. Because it's like, God, can't they clean up after themselves? Don't they know we don't have, like, maids? And CJ's response is, looks like we do. Because you're the maid, Stephanie. Or could have fooled me or something like that. It's like because Stephanie starts picking up after them because she's the maid. She's the Felix. I'm going to do that far too often during this episode. (laughs) So Stephanie just tosses a paper bag at CJ and almost starts like a a paper bag fight. I really was hoping this was going to last like longer. Like a wet paper bag fight in the shower. <laughs> yeah. Like a really weird pillow fight. <laughs> yes. Wet paper bag slap fight. <laughs> How was this not the rest of the episode? We'll, we'll make this happen when we remake this. Yes. <laughs> But it's like, yeah, it's weird because, yeah, they they go to the same shower. So clearly the men and the women use the same shower but have different shower times. I don't know. I was kind of hoping for like a Starship Troopers situation where everyone just piles in. Just everyone uses the shower. All right. So Matt meets up with Summer, who just moved to California with her mom. They're on the beach for training. Summer, She's like super nervous because, you know, she doesn't know if she's going to make it. Matt's, yeah, I just can't wait to finish rookie school, so I shove my fucking dad's face. Fuck that guy. I got daddy issues that have been poorly established. Did anyone else feel like the practicing with the floats in the background made it look like a special needs school? Is there like two of them throwing it back and forth? No, my note about the buoys is that getting into Baywatch is very exclusive, and they use their skills to stand on street corners with signs. <laughs> Because these people are just standing around, like, doing the flip, spin, twirl. It's, yeah, it, it just looks oh, so God. stupid. I, again, I was apparently not paying attention to anything going on in the background. I had clearly watched this episode with tunnel vision. I mean, I can understand because there is far too much crotch visible in the Speedo. 
I mean, it was, I, I, it was like an eclipse. I couldn't look directly at it. You're looking at the crotches. I'm looking at the people who are auditioning to uh, promote tax services. <laughs> <laughs> I was apparently the only one, like, super focused on the story. So <laughs> There isn't a story. There's, yeah, there's no story. I was focused on nothing. You're fighting a losing battle, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, Matt wants to prove to his dad that he can finish something. And then his bro comes. So, like, this is the guy that he was buddy-buddy with in those first two episodes on the swim team. Well, competitively. Well, competitively, but they weren't, like, hostile rivals. And then they just decided this episode that, okay, he needs a rival. So you're now a dick to him. Yeah, shit has changed in the one episode between these. Oh, yeah. And then an Italian stereotype shows up on the beach. Yeah, I have It's a Me, Guido. Guido. Does Guido have any meaningful contribution to this episode outside of being a Mario type character? No, the fuck he doesn't. He's such an awful stereotype. I mean, it's just right down to this pencil mustache that he's got. It's. I have the note later, but I may as well bring it up right now. Guido is from a different show. Guido's acting is best suited for a live studio audience. (laughs) (laughs) He does not belong in this type of show. No, he doesn't. He is wearing a Fievel hat from an American tale. (laughs) And this guy is as convincingly Italian as a frozen pizza. It is ridiculous. That is a very good simile. (laughs) And he just really wants to be a lifeguard. Yeah, for reasons. And this is a guy in his early 40s who is, you know, any one of us on this podcast is in better shape than him. He's just like this, you know, doughy, five foot eight, not Italian dude. Like, oh. He can't be five foot eight. He's this guy. He's pretty short. Be like, yes, he's, he's pretty not. I'm saying he's oh, not even. OK, though. yeah. I mean, that, too. So he's coming up. Like, hey, uh, David the Hasselhoff, I want to be a lifeguard. Look at my big muscles. Not really, but look at them. Like, no, seriously, that's the shit he says is look at these muscles. I'm a good swimmer. I'm picturing Luigi from The Simpsons saying Giuseppe is such a happy monkey. You know, it's just <laughs> really. <laughs> Really awful. And, and David also like, okay, Guido, we'll, we'll, we'll find something for you to do. Just get the fuck out of my face. <laughs> yes. And so Hoff and Stephanie are now running rookie school and they're giving everyone the rundown about rookie school and how important it is. And like lives are going to depend on what you learn here. And good God, Matt just starts basically jerking off to CJ like right then and there. Mm -hmm. I mean, look, we all make the same face when we see Pamela Anderson from the early 90s, but he is not even trying to hide it. I would also like to bring up that they mention someone's life will depend on your float. So I hope you've been practicing tricks and lazily tossing them to each other. (laughs) You too can save a life by letting people know how much they can save by switching to Geico. So he kind of cracks a joke at Summer, and Summer just thinks this joke is the funniest shit ever. So Stephanie's like, what the fuck's so funny? And he's like, oh, I was just wondering who's going to be my mouth-to-mouth partner. Is it going to be you or CJ? There's no way Summer found that joke that funny. That was not a funny joke. Like, that's the kind of joke that women give a polite laugh to. She was about to wet herself in her fucking swimsuit. (laughs) So he gets chewed out. Then Hoff introduces them to the gauntlet, which is going to be this obstacle course that they're going to need to pass rookie schools. They're going to do it 
once now for fun and then they're for funsies and <laughs> then they're gonna do it later and it's gonna be even harder the second time you do it and of course it's called the gauntlet because that's got to be a cool name it couldn't just be the course the obstacle like course or you know we've called it the gauntlet of doom doom <laughs> commands curse you richards <laughs> And part of the gauntlet involves jumping over a slight dip in the sand. Well, naturally. Which happens every single time. It's just slight change in direction of the sand, which I was really hoping 20 people would fall over. <laughs> that symbolizes a sunbathing. <laughs> yeah, it's true. So here's the thing. We finally get our first slow motion montage of the episode. We're like 10 minutes in and we should have had five already. I was like, finally, on, this is guys. what I watched Baywatch for. But man, do they give you the slow-mo. Like you've been waiting, but the payoff is... Mm. Mm, they give it to you. <laughs> so Matt and his friend turned rival are clearly like trying to like outrun each other. And so part of this gauntlet is that you got to jump off a pier into the ocean. And Summer is too scared to jump. Yeah, I had the note that uh, I felt like walking away from that montage too. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so, um, so... So I'm very much empathizing with her. I know she does this walk of shame. That's the end of the Hulk TV show. (laughs) Just, I mean, without. (laughs) And and this is not in slow mo, but we're still on her for like 15 seconds. It's just her walking away. She's walking barefoot on this concrete pier on a blazing hot day. And my note in all caps is, holy shit, her feet must be so hot. That's the power of failure. (laughs) Yes. You just yes. can't feel anything. You feel when nothing. You fail that hard. You feel nothing. Okay, so we're back on the beach where, you know, all this started. And then CJ runs up to Summer to give her a pep talk to tell her that, hey, I didn't make it off the pier the first time, too. But she introduces herself to Summer like, hey, I'm CJ. Dude, you literally two episodes ago dragged her out of a group of dudes on the beach so she wouldn't get trampled by them. You know who this is. You know her. Like, even if you don't know her name, you surely recognize her from the Qual Swim two episodes ago. Hey, Nick. Uh, I, I, Hey, Nick. 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 I'm Jules. And I just want to say that I was scared the first time I did the podcast hosting too. It's, it's okay. <laughs> oh, that, that that reassures me. I feel like I know you from somewhere, but I'm really more focused on me and my shit right now. So that's more important than no. But but I, I I'm Jules. Okay, you know. <laughs> okay, so it's pretty cheesy and kind of cliche, but it's still decent advice that CJ gives her. I was up there and I just, I realized how bad I wanted to be a lifeguard. And I imagined someone down there needed me and that, you know, that gave me what I needed to make the jump, which is a, you know, a decent pep talk, except it doesn't matter. Not at all. That's not how her problems get resolved. And we'll get there. No spoilers. We will get there. Yeah. Just, just a set. Yeah, no, it it is great advice, but the fact that she didn't recognize her from two episodes ago was just, (laughs) That got to me. I mean, I think it's just the running theme that no one listens to CJ ever. And they should. She's actually one of the smarter, more capable, despite the fact that she's played by Pamela Anderson. And for some reason, nobody takes Pamela Anderson seriously. Her character is super knowledgeable and capable and like a damn good lifeguard. Yeah. (laughs) So now we're with Stephanie in her new apartment. That's definitely not, definitely not on a soundstage. It's totally a real apartment. (laughs) 
This is the show that Guido was meant to be. Oh my god. That duster (laughs) that the lieutenant is holding is from a French-made Halloween costume outfit. It's literally just four (laughs) giant feathers sticking out of a stick. The refrigerator in this kitchen was outdated in 1937. (laughs) So CJ shows up, and uh uh-oh, it looks like the guy rented the same apartment to both of them. Shenanigans! (laughs) Anyone familiar with older family guy is already shouting, I smell a sitcom! (laughs) I know, this is such a sitcom setup! And neither one of them actually calls the guy to try to sort this out. Nope, nope. No, the way they try and sort it out is uh, CJ rented it first, but Stephanie already moved in. So possession is nine-tenths of the law, that old cliche. And this is countered by CJ moving a piece of luggage into the kitchen and going, how's that for possession? (laughs) Guys, I'm no lawyer, but I don't think that's how the law works. I was just seriously hoping at some point we cut back and like all the rooms are cordoned off with long lines of tape and sizes. <laughs> oh, we were talking about this before the recording. Yes, they absolutely should have. I love Lucy this, but they don't. Uh, so we cut to like a week no. later and CJ is doing really loud meditation chants in the next room. Her meditation chants are so loud that Stephanie cannot focus on preparing a bowl of potatoes. And she, this is the craziest thing. (laughs) Stephanie takes some potato skins and jams them in her ears to block the sound of CJ chanting. It is crazy. Oh my god. And then when they have the conversation afterwards, some of the dumbest shit comes out of CJ. Stephanie, your system is polluted. Stephanie, chant with me. Stephanie, the dryer sends bad elements into the air. I mean, it's like a three-year-old trying to explain climate change. But here's the thing, Jules. Apparently... CJ being hippy-dippy like this is a big reason why Pamela Anderson went on the show because it apparently, like, she really vibed with that part of the character. Do you think she wrote her own lines for the scene and that's why they're so stupid? Easily. Easily. (laughs) That was probably her juicer in the scene. (laughs) And I was looking at the juicer like, ah, it's good to see that things in Los Angeles haven't changed in almost 30 years. Pretty much. So yeah, this is the mildest roommate fight I have ever seen. It's basically just like, you're really loud and don't do your laundry. This is what I mean. There is no intentional comedy in this scene, but it's somehow still (laughs) hilarious. It's amazing. Oh, but it gets better. It gets better. I was worried that a lot of this episode was going to be way too mild for us to properly make fun of, but then it redeems itself. Mm -mm. So Matt and Summer are at Matt's house, the fancy house by the beach, going over lifeguard stuff. And Matt is like really good at it. He memorizes everything. And Summer's having some trouble. And Matt's like, all right, let's just take a break. I'll go get us something to drink. Get me one of those smart drinks and make it a double. (laughs) God, that was the line. Shut up, Stephanie. Shut up, Shut up, Summer. Shut the fuck up, Summer. She's not reading from the book like she's trying to commit it to memory. She's reading from the book like she's seeing these words for the first time. Very much. (laughs) Begin chest compressions (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what that is 
So while Matt is going to go get smart juice, um, <laughs> Matt's dad comes out, and I'm just thinking, oh, fuck, oh, he's going to hit on her. I really thought this is where it was going. He comes out introducing himself by his full name. Oh, I am Aaron Brody, Matt's father. It's like, what? Who the fuck talks like this? But then he says, call me by my first name, and you really get the feeling that there is some serious dark shit going on. Yeah, he begins this really creepy interrogation into her past. Does she live alone? Her parents are divorced and all of this. And it's weird as hell. And just right over his shoulder is a shitty lawn ornament flamingo. One of those, when the wind blows, its its wings spin round and round. And I just can't, I'm creeped out and just laughing my ass off at the same time. And so you're thinking like, what the fuck is this? Then Matt comes out with a couple of sodas and he sees his dad and he's really pissed. Summer, don't talk to him. You know, he's just trying to probe you for writing material. And I'm like, wait, that's it? That's all that's going on out here is Matt's dad is trying to find out some new shit to write? This is the sinister thing that he's doing? What? But it's that's how he always deals with people. And apparently this just pisses Matt off to no end. It's Matt's way of saying he doesn't care about anyone, especially me. And then Matt's dad is like, oh, watch out for this one, Summer, because he can't commit to anything. I'm like, this is the most contrived father-son rivalry I have ever seen. God, love yeah. And so now they're apparently late for swimming pool practice. And so they got to go. And cue weird emo swimming pool montage. I timed this. You don't quite realize it at first, but the shot is you're underwater looking up out of the pool at the sun. The sun. You stay on the sun. It stays on this for 20 seconds before anything (laughs) happens. (laughs) It is literally... 20 seconds before anything happens, which is someone dives into the pool and is swimming around underwater, eventually comes to a tube to swim through, gets a bag, goes back through the tube and up to the surface. My question is, are these blackout goggles? Because, oh, those, yeah, these goggles are insane because she's feeling around for the edge of the tube to swim through. And when she gets to the other side, I mean, this is the middle of the day. She's moving her hands, searching around for the bag. So what if you dove in and just went a little too far and like you never found the fucking tube? I Then you die, I guess. <laughs> they let you die. See, I was just focused on those goggles because they are massive. These are like, they're clearly designed for pools. We've all had swimming goggles from pools. They're all just kind of little oval things. These are like welder's goggles for swimming. I had giant cool goggles. This would be about the same time. Now we're out of the pool. All the rookies are there. And David Hasselhoff is talking to them, but the montage music is still going. And he's <laughs> talking, which is weird. Like the montage is effectively over. They should have cut already. And then suddenly the music stops and we're in the middle of David Hasselhoff's speech. It's such a weird editing choice. Yeah, but if you have subtitles on, it shows you what he's talking about. And he's already mid-sentence. So it kind of makes sense that they just cover it up with a little more music and then he starts making a new point whenever you actually hear him talking. Right, yeah, the music cuts and he's in the start of a brand new sentence, which was just, I think that was what was judging. If he was like, you know, in the middle of a sentence, like that would have felt more natural, but nope. No. Chop the music, start a brand new sentence. He was in the middle of making a point and they waited until he moved on to a new one to cut the music. 
So Matt shows up and he's late and he gets called out by Stephanie and he whines like a whiny little bitch in French. And now it comes to the self-defense portion of your lifeguard training. (laughs) I know. So Stephanie's like, hey, I know French. Get over here. You're going to be my fucking sparring partner. (laughs) Yeah, she close quarters combats this guy. She's like, I've got my (laughs) buoy. And then she just puts him in a chokehold. And then she tries to drown him. And then she tries to drown him. Oh my God. So after, yeah, like fights him on land. And then she's like, now I'm going to fight you at sea, bitch. And I think this is the same pool they use for the high school. I could be wrong. I believe it is. But yeah, Stephanie wants to prove a point how dangerous a drowning person can be. But she is going about this like she's a fucking drill instructor. And her line is, there is not one of you I can't dominate in the water. And I just want to throw this out there. I'm cool with it being on land, too. (laughs) (laughs) yes please i'm not particular on where the domination happens (laughs) on land see we we could even do this in the air i'm okay with that too they watch as helicopters but yeah so she swims out there and she's like rescue me yeah matt comes up like tries and she basically tries to drown him gets him in a headlock and just keeps him underwater for a long ass time And then eventually lets him go. She gets out, like swims out before him. So Matt comes, he swims to the side of the pool and she's trying to help him out. And again, because he's a little bitch. "Eh." Yeah. No. He does that little. "Eh." "Eh." Yeah, just a little. "Eh." And he like swims off to the other side of the pool to get out by himself and not be helped out. How many teenagers do you think she drowned before she got that (laughs) perfectly down? Thinking double figures, or do you think she might Oh do my god, she's got like this weird freaky shrine in her apartment of all the kids she drowned. We've seen her apartment. <laughs> there is no place such a shrine could possibly exist. Now, CJ, on the other hand, she <laughs> would have a dead kid shrine. <laughs> yes, she fucking would. You're right. I, I, I ascribed that shrine to the wrong character. And so Hoff is like, hey, Steph, you know, we're here to help not just weed out the, the people who don't should be here. We're also here to help the people who you know, probably haven't realized how good they are. Because apparently Hoff sees so much potential in this whiny little... And her response is basically, fuck off. Yeah, as a fuck off. And a, yeah, Stephanie, yeah, fuck off, because this guy's a whiny little bitch. Like, Hoff, for some reason, needs to, like, show Matt that he should be in Baywatch. Oh, we'll find out why. So Hoff tries to give, like, Matt a pep talk in the changing room. And again, Matt's being a whiny little bitch. I don't want to be a lifeguard anymore. And he, like, huffs off. Yeah. Again, the most unlikable character in existence. I like Angelica from Rugrats more than this guy. But here's the craziest thing, like, out of all this, Summer is just chilling outside the men's changing room. Yeah. Just waiting for Matt. <laughs> I guess. Just, like, leaning against the wall, like, with a concerned look on her face. Like, gosh, I hope Matt's okay. She totally heard that private conversation. That happened behind closed doors in a brick building. <laughs> She's standing there with this reaction, like, Oh, Matt's not going to be at lifeguard school anymore. Oh, my entire sense of being is centered around this whiny little (laughs) bitch that I'm apparently friends with. Maybe I should just go hang out with my cocktail dress singing mom. (laughs) And now we get to the best goddamn part of the show. Because we are back at CJ and Stephanie's apartment. Yes! Yes! And there is a ribbon tied around the door like a fucking christmas present like a bow it is overdone 
clearly meant to be like the tie on the door, the sock on the door. Hey, Rumi, shit's going down in here. Maybe you go sleep somewhere else tonight kind of situation. And CJ is listening to something on tape. Oh, yeah, she is. She is listening to The Subjugation of Pleasure, Part 1. Oh, my God. And having tiny orgasms. Just moaning and moaning. She's getting a massage from a nerd while a book on tape talks about erogenous zones. And how the erogenous zones of the 90s are closely linked to emotion. It's making the point of you can just gently caress certain areas of the body and there's no need for this oafish groping and flailing of limbs to get pleasure. (laughs) What a barbaric practice that is. My secret shame is that I kind of want to take this guy's class. (laughs) (laughs) I did once I found out who it was. And who was it, John? Who is the nerd giving CJ erotic massages on the couch? This is Ted Raimi. Any fans of director Sam Raimi, this is his brother. He gets included in pretty much everything he's ever done. He's J. Jonah Jameson's assistant Hoffman in the Spider-Man movies. That's probably what his biggest roles would ever be. He looks exactly the same, even though these were about a (laughs) decade or so apart. And... CJ mentions that while he is a nerd, he is the sexiest man ever. And I met him at a book signing. Mm. Doesn't that just turn you on? If that doesn't, I don't know what will. If it doesn't, then you are frigid. And you you are especially frigid (laughs) if you don't appreciate the fact that this dude is wearing a fucking suit while doing this. (laughs) (laughs) This nerd in glasses He would not look out of place playing a game of chess with Kasparov. This is how he looks right now. It is so bizarre. And Pamela Anderson is just like moaning and loving every minute of this. But they get interrupted by Stephanie coming home, who does not respect the door ribbon. Oh, God. Respect the door ribbon, Nick. Always respect the door ribbon. And she is dressed like one of the workout women in the Call On Me music video. Eric Price? I I didn't know that. Europeans will get it. Well, I didn't. (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, Apparently, I'm the only one who listened to early 2000s house music on this podcast. Anyways, CJ very upset about this. Dude says he'll leave. Kisses the dude goodnight in the hallway promises to listen to his tape while falling asleep we learned that they were listening it was his own tape they were listening it's to. so yes. fucking weird and i want to say to any ladies out there that if you go on a date with me you'll get to hear our podcast as i make my move <laughs> oh my god guys guys not even joking when we start a patreon We are absolutely having a Patreon goal where the three of us do a fucking erogenous book on tape. It's going to (laughs) happen. It's got to be a Patreon goal. I'm just saying. Oh my goodness. That's going to have to be a very high. Well, there's also tiers where you can put titles for like the donation levels. And just one of those tiers needs to be called listens to us during sex. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God. Yes. Oh my word. Back to the show. Back to Baywatch. 
So any of that stuff we just watched wasn't nuts enough. This gets even crazier because CJ goes from being super pissed at Stephanie for not honoring the ribbon on the door to literally throwing her on the couch so she can blab about her date and all the erogenous zones. And apparently sharing the erogenous zones bit just immediately resolves all their roommate issues and they are now buddies. Mm -hmm. What the... Like, this? it goes from zero to 60 in 30 seconds. I thought I had a fucking stroke. It was crazy. <laughs> like I said, you're fighting a losing battle, Nick. If you pay this close attention to the plot, you're gonna die. And, okay, again, this is all about the erogenous zones. He started working on her upper arm and made it to her hand. <sighs> that dirty, dirty bastard. As Stephanie says, in her defense of interrupting them, well, we wouldn't want him getting all the way to your fingers on the first date. <laughs> yeah. This is the stupidest shit I've ever seen. Uh, these were words that were written in a writer's room, and the producer said, yep, that looks good. Next. Oh, boy. So now... If you know, we, we are like over halfway through this episode now. Thank God. And we only now get to see Guido again. Yes, Guido returns to a messy classroom. And his fucking thing he likes to do is tidy up the classroom for the rookies. He comes in before all of it and just tidies the shit out of this classroom. And Stephanie walks and takes a look around. And he's like, I don't remember requisitioning a, a new chalkboard or new chairs. And Guido's like, ha! I cleaned it all up. I'm fucking awesome. Yeah, I clean and I polish it up and I make it all the nice. Uh, uh, we didn't get to see any of that, though. We see Guido walk in the room. He looks at a mess and then it cuts to everyone being there. I need Guido cleaning montage in my life. Absolutely. Like a Marie Kondo show, but it's with Guido. I would have I would have forgiven <laughs> yes. the awful stereotyping if he had had a montage there. With, with the duster that Stephanie had from her apartment, you know. <laughs> Guido in a maid outfit, cleaning up. No, no, I like him just the way he is, with his loud fluorescent colored paisley his shirt. His shirt that looks like it was used as wallpaper in a 90s hotel. And so basically he, st he stayed in the classroom just to let somebody know that he tidied up gets thanked by Stephanie, and he fucks right off right after that. That was all he needed. Which is weird, because he wants to be a lifeguard so bad, but he doesn't stay for class. You see, this is the difference between unintentional comedy and intentional comedy. They had intended Guido to be funny. Yes! He was not. Yes. He was not. He was not funny. Way. Again, because he belongs on a different kind of show. <laughs> <laughs> he he belongs on the kind of show where you know it's funny because the audience is being told to laugh. Exactly. Exactly. But here, but here's the thing, John. Like, so he at this point, Hoff has already shut down him becoming a lifeguard. So he clearly just wants to be involved with Baywatch. That's all he wants. Right, That's his entire right. fucking motivation. So Stephanie lets the class know they've cut a lot of people. It's like 20 rookies left. And he's she's like, all right, we got the gauntlet coming up and it's going to be harder than the gauntlet that you ran the last time. And in fact, the pier jump is going to be even higher. 
And first reaction to this a higher peer jump, I'm like, so they're going to jack the peer up? The peer only has one height. <laughs> you can't make it taller. Like there's no adjustment. Picturing Greedo with a jack at the bottom of the pair just going, I get it up in a moment. You'll see. You'll see. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's the same peer. You just have to jump off of Guido now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he just got to jump. <laughs> and Guido's happy to do it's it. A go. <laughs> but the fact is, this makes Summer nervous because she couldn't jump the first time and now it's even higher. Hoff shows up at Matt's house trying to find him. I don't know why. I legitimately don't know why he like... It's so that the parents can learn a lesson about maybe not looking down on him so much. He shows up, I'm looking for Matt, and his dad, that makes two of us. He didn't come home last night. As he's just casually reading the newspaper with one of his cigars, gives zero fucks. I, I just tuned out this entire conversation because it was so utterly fucking pointless. Something about responsibility and Matt and the dad, who gives a fuck? Because all the scene really is, is like, oh yeah, Matt went surfing. His surfboard is missing. And by that, Hoff knows exactly where to go. Yeah. Because Matt's coming out of the water and says, how'd you find me? Well, I was just at your house. Okay? Doesn't explain anything, David. Does not explain anything. There's a lot of beach. <laughs> yeah. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> We've established in the last episode, Hoff has a spidey sense. He could have tracked him down. Oh, that's right. That is true. He started walking one way and the vibes got like a little bit less, so he turned around and he's hot and colding his way up and down the coastline until he finds him. So he finds him and he's like, yeah, why should I become a lifeguard? And basically Hoff sees goodness in him and Hoff back in the day was also a hothead teen when he joined up as a lifeguard. Yeah, yeah Hoff basically gives the you remind me of a young me cliche speech. Which, I mean, you know, when you think about it, is really self-indulgent and a, kind of an egotistical thing to say. <laughs> like, you remind me of me, and I am awesome. Right. So you will be and awesome. I'm going to be even awesomer for helping you out. I enjoyed how stupid Brody was because he just wasn't getting it. You remind me of a young man. He's a, he's a little taller. <laughs> he's, he's now head of Baywatch. He's, he's got this hairstyle. Are you getting it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's you he remind me of another young man hot-headed had trouble with his parents and matt name drops one of the other <laughs> life cards it's eddie who went to australia that's who he named oh, oh my god. god how does he even know eddie i guess that's revealed in season two because no because matt maybe he hung around the beach and got saved by him once i don't know and that's what inspired him to be a lifeguard because I thought Matt was only introduced in this season, so like... That's what I'm saying, I don't know, maybe he's in the end of season two, because the first that we've seen Matt, Eddie is off on a vacation for a will reading that he's not related to at all. So, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> so anyways, David Hasselhoff lets Brody know that the gauntlet starts in an hour with or without him. So apparently... Hoff has just let the other lifeguards deal with prepping for this major fucking final exam. Oh, he's got Guido now. He doesn't have to do his job. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he does have fucking Guido because we cut to Guido setting up red flags. Yes! Guido's just there. He's just there. <laughs> mm -hmm. And all the rookies are there. Stephanie's there. And Hoff's like, oh, well, Matt's not going to show. But then he does show. Matt's late again to the final. 
This is now a pattern. Once being late could be a one-off. Now he's shown evidence that he's definitely a repeat offender. He's late to things. He talks back to the instructors. He's goofing around telling jokes in class. I mean, really, the only thing this guy's going for him is he remembers book material really well. And he's a fast runner. Yes. In fact, in slow-mo, he almost looks like normal speed. He's that fast. But the crazy thing is... He comes in and he promises Stephanie that he'll never be late again. And she kind of gives him a nod and a wink and he's like that. Yep, that's fine. Go join the next group. You didn't reconcile anything with her. There was no heart to heart conversation like with Hoff. She's just apparently like absorbed. Oh, no, there was a there was a little conversation with Hoff where he said, you know, we're supposed to give them the, the ones who have potential just that shot in the arm. But I'm pretty sure the reason why she forgives him is because of that erogenous zone chat she had with CJ. Yeah, I was going to say she's still in the glow from having her tricep lightly <laughs> caressed. And when, and when Hoff said it's about giving him that shot in the arm, it just you know, took her back. Oh, God. John, that's legitimately a better reason than the show itself gives. So. Yeah. As established last time, I can find the in anything. <laughs> So now we have the montage <laughs> of montages. It's gauntlet time, oh baby. Oh my god. And the slow-mo doesn't hide the fact that these contestants are clearly gently jogging. Yes. I know. Yes. <laughs> Some of them with big broad smiles on their face. They're just like, wee, I'm at the beach. They just got the fucking theme song playing in their heads and it just makes them happy. And they make it over the gentle dip in the sand again. That has not managed to break down anyone on the gauntlet. That gentle dip in the sand has been bypassed every time. Good for them. I really would love to see someone trip there. (laughs) I know. (laughs) And then they just have casual CJ on a surfboard cut, which is clearly not in the ocean. It's just randomly there. It's like she's on water. Drifting well, by. she plays a thing later, but at this moment, it's just random CG on a longboard. So it's crazy. So for most of this, Summer is winning the gauntlet. Summer is ahead, followed by Matt Brody and, you know, his douchebag rival who used to be his friend. Who is clearly the best one in this training program. Clearly. He got some answers wrong, but, you know, when they ask him questions, he provides an answer. He, you know. But does he have the power of friendship, John? I mean, clearly no, because he's a douchebag to everyone. He almost weaponizes it at the pier jump. But we'll, we'll, get, we'll get there. We'll get there. So we're at the pier jump, and I finally figure out how they make it taller. There's like a building at the end of the pier that adds height because they were just jumping off the regular pedestrian portion. Now they're jumping off a roof that's on a building that's a part of the pier. So yeah, it's higher. It's not Guido with the jack, which would have been a better choice, in my opinion. <laughs> But Summer is scared shitless. She can't jump. It's really high. And CJ, like on her longboard, is like, jump. <laughs> yes, she's, CJ's out in the water. Summer, jump. <laughs> and Matt Brody. And Matt is in the middle of climbing the rope up to the pier where he yells, jump, Summer. Everyone's passing you. And there's no one around. Nope. There are not people passing. There are not. As if like she couldn't see that. (laughs) So Matt and douche rival guy pass them. And Matt's trying to like help her. And douche is like, oh, well, looks like I'm going to win, Darsh. Yes, it's a Stan Darsh moment. He weaponizes his douchebaggery by doing a 
backward one and a half somersault with a half twist into the ocean. He's legitimately as cartoony as the Darsh dude from the Aspen episode of South Park. You're afraid to jump off of this? Watch me do some Olympic diving then. He does. He does Olympic diving for reasons. <laughs> for reasons. <laughs> Damn Darsh. And so Matt tells him like, hey, you know, Summer, we'll jump together. Let's let's go. And she's like, no, if I don't do it myself, then did I really? Yes. Yes. Her line is, if I don't do this by myself, I don't deserve to make it. And I say that's true. I'm going to come back to this moment later. But yeah, if I can't do this by myself, I don't deserve to make it. I agree. I absolutely agree. She is telling the truth. Mm -hmm. And this brings us back to CJ's advice of just wanting it so much. And instead... Mac grabs her hand and they jump in together. <laughs> he makes her jump. The power of friendship. The power of just yoink. <laughs> okay, so then they come up out of the water. And this took well, a while. Well, hang on. Before we get there, I, I just want to mention this. The actors clearly did the jump. All these actors, like you oh, see the yeah. close-ups. And, and I just want to give like credit where yeah. credit's due. They might not be great actors. This might not be great writing. But all these motherfuckers jumped off a pier, and I don't know if I can do that. So I'm going to give serious credit here to these actors actually making this. Oh, that's fair enough yeah. point. That said, they that had that said, minute-long chat after Douche dove off of the building to where they come up from the water, and she's great. Now you can go beat him at the race. And what? <laughs> Dude, Summer, you could win the race. You were winning the whole time. Is it because you still can't have a girl win the race in the early 90s? Probably, Probably because, yeah. yeah, she was literally winning the entire time until the jump. And then the implication is that Matt could still get up to rival dude and beat him, which by logical extension means Summer could catch up to rival douche and beat him. And Matt, because she's clearly faster. She overcame her thing, and so now he needs to learn to believe in himself. Boo. Yeah, it's that sad. It's it's that it's th sad. That is absolutely yes. what happened here, and boo. Summer should have won, <laughs> not this Matt douche. Pretty much. So anyway. Matt catches up to rival douche and beats him, and then there's a slow-mo hug with Summer, and I gotta just point out something crazy here. Guido's there? Of one of many crazy things. <laughs> CJ okay. was on a longboard, presumably by the pier, and yes. now somehow yes. through the power of teleportation is at the finish line back on the beach. Yes, that's true. The fuck? <laughs> I mean, shit of drinking like carrot juice gives you those powers. I will go get me a juicer. Actually, sorry, just to like quickly go back. I know this is a scene earlier in the apartment, but I just remembered CJ made a juice with carrots and the juice was green. Because it had to look gross. Because script. <laughs> you don't want to drink those carrots, CJ. Anyways, back to now. Matt does a slow-mo hug with Summer on the beach. And again, she should have won. It's stupid. Now we're going to go to a very prestigious part of the Baywatch building for the rookie graduation ceremony. The laundry room. Hoff gets to do his as you already know speech and literally say the lines as you already know. <laughs> yep. In the laundry room, way to make yep. him feel welcome. Telling the people who make it, and only 12 of them make it. And it's like, all right, now it's time to announce Rookie of the Year. Uh, Matt, who hasn't been selected yet, thinks he might not have made it. And the reason why he was... Yeah! This is... I. What kind of system is this? I don't know, man. It's like, six of you aren't going to make it. 
And so I'm going to announce everyone else and then who's the best. So you're either the best person in this room or fuck off. Yes. So Matt gets chosen as rookie of the fucking year. Which pissed me off. Like, douche guy gets up, he kind of like slams the table and storms off. Yeah, douche guy didn't even make I the agree. cut. I agree. Uh, yeah, how did this guy not make the cut? He was the best, if not second, you know, in line for everything. His written exams must have just been shit. Yeah, they must have just been that shit. That's the only reason. Because physically, he was like as good, if not better, than most of them. He literally everyone Literally else. came in second and the gauntlet like ridiculous that he just had to lose because we're supposed to feel like on Matt's side, which no, we're not. I fucking hate the dude. No, that's bullshit. And, and part of why again, Matt won was the power of friendship. And because that, what you did with summer on the pier really showed us a lot about you and we need to have each other's backs and da da da. And well, yeah, that's true. They do need to be able to have each other's backs. You also need to be capable of performing the fucking job and summer needed to jump off by herself. Exactly. And this guy this guy arrived late. He's already missed his first two watches, and he's arrived late to the first victim because he had to talk his friend into joining him in the water. (laughs) That's that's three corpses already. And what I also found just to be absolutely ludicrous is that the important thing was, as John mentioned, the power of friendship and that you stuck by your team and you took them with you. Is it because you know it doesn't matter? that it takes you forever to get into the ocean when your victim is drowned in the time that a faster guy could have leapt into the ocean. What matters is that you all show up to your drowned victim together. That is what matters. <laughs> yes. Speed is not essential. No, speed is not the key. Why would you think that? <laughs> so basically they say, hey, Matt, you get to choose where you want to do your lifeguard apprenticeship and he's i'd like to do it right here at baywatch because baywatch i guess the main area for the lifeguards stephanie's like jokes for him all right so just make sure you're not late And he's like don't worry i'll be here early and she's like no dude just just be on time like don't try and be fucking clever about this (laughs) seriously just show up on time just show show up up on time like let's not get a fucking head of ourselves with this early bullshit that's what we're overpaid for I don't know if they're overpaid. <laughs> and so just to wrap up Guido's story, because we need to wrap up Guido's oh story. My God. Someone literally asks, wait, what about Guido? And I'm like, yeah, what the fuck? Who cares? Who, Who fucking, fucking cares? cares? About Guido? What about him? So basically they have found something for Guido to do. They found out a way to make him part of Baywatch. And they're like, hey, Guido, we're going to make you our maintenance engineer. And he's super excited about that. But are they going to pay him? Who the fuck knows? But he is super happy. Yeah, he just does that. Hands on the hips, chest puffed up. Real he's like, engineer. I like the sound of that. It's like he stereotypes so much that he freeze frames into some sort of a stereotype seizure whilst everyone else is moving. Yes. <laughs> Again, because it's he 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 is from a live audience show and he is freeze framing the end of the episode. <laughs> And he's wearing the red Baywatch shorts. So just, I, I don't know what they think we mentioned this, but all the rookies have had to wear black swimsuits because they need to earn the red, I guess. And Guido just gets to wear the fucking red Yeah, he just trunks. walks in dressed like a lifeguard. He's got the white polo and the red trunks, like Nick said. And he's so grateful for being a part of Baywatch in any way whatsoever. He lightly sexually assaults <laughs> Stephanie. <laughs> 
he just grabs her arm and well, that's because he listened to the tape and knows what happens when you touch the arms. Superb. <laughs> yeah. He's pervin. He he does a Gomez Adams on Stephanie and everybody claps for Guido. Oh, he's Italian. They have different rules there. <laughs> <laughs> Mi scusi. I'm sorry. I thought this was American. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that is it for our first episode, Rookie of the Year. We got one more episode for you guys before we go. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back for Lifeguards Can't Jump. Ah, oh, dude, I'm so glad you were able to come out to lunch. I haven't seen you in forever. Yeah, I know, man. That pandemic made it real hard just to hang out, even. Anyways, what's good here? Oh, yeah, they got this really good burger, and oh, no, I I totally forgot to fill up the parking meter. I'll I'll be right back. (laughs) Nick, uh, your food's getting cold, and why are you sweaty? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I mean, I had a thing. Don't worry, it's, it's fine about the food. I'll just, I'll just ask them to warm it up. And, oh, man, I, I really got to use the bathroom. I, I'll be right back. Uh, that's the fifth time already. Are you sure you're feeling okay? Oh, uh, yep. Yeah, can't hold it, though. Well, you, you just start eating without me, all right? <laughs> Whew! Ah. <sighs> Dude, are you, are you okay? How far away was that parking meter? Oh man, dude! You know L.A. parking here really sucks. So uh, yeah, let's let's order some food. John, hey Jules, what are you doing here? Just having lunch with Nick. Uh, but I'm having lunch with him at the restaurant next door. Uh oh, looks like I'm busted. Christ, you went out and planned two lunches at the same time. When we could have all just had lunch together. Yeah, but I, I was doing, you know, shenanigans like in that episode of Baywatch we just watched earlier. It was pretty funny, right? Uh, no. No, that whole thing was incredibly stupid. We all made fun of it. The stalking made it really unfunny. You made fun of it, too. And you wasted our time just to, what, do a bit? Fuck, that's like four times. No, no, screw this. Jules, grab lunch. Yes, I would, John. Awesome. I am starving, guys. I've been doing a lot of running lately. No, not you. Oh, come on, guys. It was a joke. Guys, no, come back. Oh, yeah. Oh, whatever. I'll just get some food. Ooh, turkey club. Get that with mustard. No mustard for you. Oh. And we're back for going to break down one more episode of Baywatch for you folks at home. Uh, As we mentioned before, this one is called Lifeguards Can't Jump, a very thinly veiled reference to the feature film White Men Can't Jump. Christ. Who's in that one? That's it's Woody Harrelson. Harrelson And who's the dude? Yeah, the dude. I'm the dude. Pretending to be the dude playing the other dude. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, Wesley, Wesley Snipes. Snipes. Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson. Well, that means it's automatically going on the list. <laughs> Wesley Snipes classifies everything. Yeah, yeah. We should have yeah. a Wesley Snipes-a-thon for some episodes. 
So anyways, because this is the early 90s, um, we're just going to watch a bunch of really aggro black dudes playing basketball. I would like to point out that there's more acting in this intro montage than I've seen in all the other episodes put together. <laughs> it's so true. They emote, you feel like there's some tension going on, there's some back and forth. Honestly, seriously, more acting in this one montage. There's drama, there's there's stakes, there's everything. These extras were not paid enough. I, I can tell you right now. I agree. I have three notes on this long opening sequence, which is slow-mo basketball. Lead guitarist just keeps practicing that one sweet lick. <laughs> <laughs> and this is probably the only time guys get in each other's faces and you don't expect them to kiss. <laughs> Very true. Very true. They don't just do that, like walk up and just stare at each other. I mean, they're they're screaming, they're throwing hands, like, <laughs> like chest to th- these chest. These people are definitely about to kick the shit out of each other. Exactly. Oh yeah. I really appreciate the fact they got right into the slow-mo montage on this one. The last one, they teased us and we had to wait for it. And this time they're just, nah, guys, we're going to give it to you right in the beginning. During this montage, just a couple of like key figures we got to point out. There's an older black dude and a dashiki kind of waving money around. There's a girl with straightened hair watching really intently. Then we, of course, we got the two aggro dudes getting up in each other's faces. And this goes on for five minutes. Whoever wrote this episode did not want to write an episode yeah the, the script was too short they had to they had to lengthen it with montage yeah there are children's mazes at casual dining restaurants that are longer than the script of this episode <laughs> so now we cut to the beach and there's a couple on their honeymoon oh my God. This, this is the b plot this, this is, is my the creepiest story this would not be out of place in a hitchcock movie i'm sorry honestly. but this is my a plot of this episode <laughs> <laughs> they try to make it funny but it is unsettling i find the basketball mm. stuff like uninteresting maybe because it's sports but this is amazing. These honeymooning tourists are amazing. For the wife, it's we couldn't get Fran Drescher, but damn it, we're going to pretend we did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. They did not have enough Fran Drescher budget you, for this you. episode, so they got her understudy. As a note to anyone who wants to start a TV show, you have to lay a budget for that. Yes. It's not an option. Our podcast has a Fran Drescher budget. <laughs> This honeymooning couple is clearly in their 40s. Like, they are clearly the people who never left their hometown and have settled for each other. Because the moment he is at the beach, this guy is looking around and realizing what a mistake he made. Immediately, there's very noticeable grays in her hair, which are either, like, natural or they put them in. And so, supposedly, this couple is from Colorado, but her accent screams New Jersey. And the whole thing is like, oh, she's wearing a very unattractive one piece. She doesn't know how to do her hair. And she's eating the fuck out of this mustard laden sandwich. She loves her mustard. But it's not like he's any better of a specimen. Oh, God. Easily anybody on this podcast is way hotter than this dude. Easily. (laughs) Which is another reason I hate this show so much is that the reality is just flipped so far on its head to try to appease its audience that uh, it just it it hurts at times. It really does. 
so Pamela Anderson. Yeah, let's get into what. Let's get into this. Yeah, because (laughs) basically they're having a picnic and I guess like a napkin or something gets blown in front of their blanket. And Pamela Anderson, CJ comes up and tells them, hey, you know, just watch your litter. You might as well hear a spring go boing. Because this dude just (laughs) looks her up and down. I'm surprised he doesn't just go up and start licking her. It is just the most obvious perving session. I am surprised he did not pass out from the blood rushing. <laughs> it's, I mean, he just overdone to, wow. the, to the extreme, you know, and yeah, and nobody notices. <laughs> the wife doesn't notice. CJ doesn't notice. He might as no, well be rubbing nobody. his eyeballs on her leg. It is so obvious. It is ridiculous. Every time just the director told the actor, no more. No more. No more. More! <laughs> hornier. Do it hornier. Yeah. <laughs> no, the director was screaming, no more. And this guy misheard. Oh, uh, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> He's like, hang on, honey. And he runs after CJ and because he just really wants to let her know that he's not a litter bug. He recycles. He really cares about the environment. And her reaction is just like, okay, cool, dude. Oh yeah, sorry. My secretary is a bit of a slob. He calls his wife his secretary. He lies to her about being some sort of big wig executive. Like, oh my god, dude, you're pathetic. And thus, a stalker is born. Yes, a stalker is born is a perfect second title for what this episode. A stalker, he is. He gets his own montage later, but we'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there. So David Hasselhoff and Stephanie are running down the beach. And they start doing the fake panting that we've talked about. Right. <laughs> right. And she's like, oh, you always make it a race. And then they spot a body on the rocks. And I really expected them just be like, damn it again. <laughs> <laughs> and we go over, might as well just say it's one of the guys who was playing basketball and getting aggro with the other one earlier. He's just been splatted on the rocks. They call it in. And Garner, who's the beach cop, Mm -hmm. who's a black dude, who's, I guess, a part of like, we haven't seen him before. I don't know whether he played any part in earlier seasons. Yeah, we just hadn't seen him yet in the ones we watched, but uh, he's been around since the beginning. Yeah, yeah, he's in the credits. It's they they really show him off. Yeah, they really show him driving that that four wheeler. <laughs> the early episodes I'd watched referenced last week their murder mysteries and shit, and so he does actually have a pretty big part to play. His beach uniform, like with the shorts and the the polo shirt. Do you guys remember from early Family Guy that fake show Gumble to Gumble? <laughs> yes. That's the uniform. Yeah. <laughs> and it turns out that Garner knows the guy who's dead. And my question here is, does does Baywatch think all black people know each other? <laughs> that's not specific to black people actually every american thinks us english people all know each other you know you two are both from london well you should probably go to the same pub (laughs) wait hang on you you guys don't all know each other so now hoff is talking to gardner at the baywatch headquarters yeah this is a skill i want to have they're down by the rocks and the cop says his name they're like oh it's tito washburn and the conversation continues naturally oh tito washburn the basketball player from blah blah, blah. except they're at a totally different location <laughs> again i'm we're gonna have to come back to my fan theory that lifeguards can teleport <laughs> like, teleportation is absolutely possible absolutely 
This so, yeah. is a movie thing. This is a TV thing. You have a natural conversation that takes place over like a three hour walk through a park, but it only takes a minute with the cut. <laughs> yeah, the comedy shows have started ripping on that now. There's always there was the old wow, I'm glad you finally spoke. You've been silent for three hours. <laughs> yeah, it's like they just like we spent a little bit of the conversation and shut up for 45 minutes and then came right back where we were. So that's what's happened here. And we just get exposed. Bosit Central, because again, the guiding philosophy of Baywatch is tell, don't show, because showing costs money. <laughs> so the, the guy who was dead was a basketball star at Pepperdine. He busted his knee up and turned to drugs. Baywatch predicted the opioid crisis. Pretty cool. Went to rehab and apparently had cocaine in his system when he died. You know, was just trying to turn his life around. He had a kid, he had a wife, like nothing about this makes sense. And I got to say, Gardner, I agree. Oh, but do you have the follow up line? <laughs> yes. Nothing about, nothing about drugs, drugs makes, makes sense. sense. <laughs> That's what Hoff says. So God, there's a strong don't do drugs message throughout this entire show. I just want to say that I want to wear that t-shirt. Nothing about drugs makes sense. And just have David Hasselhoff's face on it. Exactly. Pointing at you. (laughs) (laughs) This was very much the time of Just Say No and the war on drugs and and all that sort of thing. Even arcade games at this time had the presidential seal saying winners don't use drugs. And I was really shit at video games, so I thought that meant I was going to turn to a <laughs> it's one of those things that we never got in England, really. I mean, we got American shows which had it, which always made us laugh. But the European equivalent was always to show you horror shows of what drugs did to you, as opposed to these cheesy messages. Just say no. Now we're going to see the first of a series of supremely on the nose t shirts. <laughs> So Garter is playing basketball and he's wearing an MLK t-shirt that says violence is immoral. And I don't get this. So is, is, is it, the, is it this show like just being like, Hey, you know, actually this was like, right, like right around Rodney King. So maybe they were trying to like promote racial heat. 92. I'm pretty sure that's around Rodney King. Uh, it's a bit before. Or is that 93? It's a bit before, I believe. I mean, yeah, at any point in American history, like racial needing yeah. racial reconciliation is a thing. But I think it's because it maybe was 91. It's like, oh, it was 91. Okay. So this was. This yeah, was this might have been being filmed. Yeah. During the Rodney King stuff. So, yeah, well, you so also this had the Los like, Angeles riots of 92. I mean, there's like you were saying, there's always something that's unfortunately going to be around. Or is this them trying to distract from the fact that this plot is pretty fucking racist? (laughs) This is like just all the stereotypes of black people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we had the Italian (laughs) stereotype in the last episode and we we get a bundle here. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, apart from... There's one other white person that plays basketball. It's not nearly as overt as Guido, though. It's not as overt as Guido, (laughs) but it's like... Not as overt as Guido. So, turns out that Garner, he's a pretty good shooter. And so the old dude from the montage comes up, the guy that was in a tashiki waving money around. So it turns out that Garner and this old dude named Oz, they know each other. Basically, he hustles him. He's like, yeah, if you beat this giant white dude over here, 
I will give you info about the dead dude. And this is a huge fucking white dude. Yeah. Could actually play basketball. And at this point, my note is the word jive is still a term and the white dude tries to speak street. Yeah. Oh, I mean, God, anytime someone says you jive, I think of the old lady from airplane. <laughs> Excuse me. I, I, I speak jive. jive. <laughs> Uh, so Gardner kicks this white dude's ass and it turns out that Oz was using Gardner to hustle these randos because Gardner's not exactly tall. They have this tiny black dude could never beat this tall white dude at a basketball game. Joke's on you. Give me your money. And it's like, all right, I, I did your thing. Tell me about the guy who died. Well, it turns out his marriage was on the rocks. Gardner's like, are you going to fucking tell me anything else? Nope. Yeah. So was his body. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd was. like to remind <laughs> to remind everyone that this is the only police work this police officer has done, aside from take the body back to the morgue. <laughs> he has only played basketball and spoken with this one guy. Now, you are about to see throughout the rest of the episode how much else he does police work-wise. It's, it's you know, the, the amount of thorough forensics and... Um, interviews with witnesses you know staggering level of commitment well. to his position it, yes. it, it just really so fully rounded you know just a fine not, example of the profession very much it's it's not it's not you know just focusing on how well he can play basketball because of one guy who has information <laughs> who's but, a shady but, character anyway so why should you trust his information <laughs> So Oz says, hey, if you come back and play again tomorrow, he might know some more stuff. So clearly he wants to keep using Garner to hustle people. Now we go to a fancy hotel in Santa Monica. Yes, back to the A-plot. Back to the A- <laughs> <laughs> And Honeymoon Wife has a really bad sunburn. But it's Baywatch, so before you get there, you have the slow pan across the room of, oh, that's the spot. Oh, it hurts. Oh, yes. Well, I don't think she says, oh, it hurts until she you like does. get. Well, maybe by the time you get there and see the sunburn. Yeah, but it is. Yeah, like not during the implied sex noises. I think it's during the implied sex. I'm not sure why the writers thought making the wife annoying and obnoxious was necessary. Either they thought that would make the guy, this horrific stalker, empathetic, which is disgusting. Or they thought this was funny, which it wasn't. It was not funny. I'll leave that to you, audience, when you delve into this episode. So, easy husband dude who... Uh, I hate this guy. He's putting wet towels on her because she just didn't put enough sunscreen on. And instead of him being like, oh, I'll stay with you. Well, you know, it's fine. We'll just have our honeymoon in here. I'll take care of you, whatever. She's like, oh, um, what are you going to do while I'm lying here in bed? What? And he's like, you know what? Good point. See ya. <laughs> no, but first what he does is he looks outside with a pair of binoculars. <laughs> That's right. And he spots CJ. Immediately. I'm expecting the police to start kicking in with, I'll be watching you. <laughs> they couldn't afford that. Would have fit, though. They didn't have enough actual police budget for this episode. <laughs> but his reaction to seeing CJ is like a cartoon wolf. You might as well have heard Auga! Eyes going through the binoculars. So overdone. That is the level of reaction he has to seeing Pamela Anderson. And look, Pamela Anderson is hot, especially early 90s Pamela Anderson, but tone it the fuck down. Like, come on. 
again, he'd never left his hometown and doesn't know what other people look like. What really got me was the fact that this is so creepy and they're making him out to be a goofy character. When what he's doing is just so want to run your nails down your forehead. Awful. Yeah, disrespecting the woman you just married. Yeah. So now we're back at the Baywatch headquarters. Did you guys hear that? It's an yeah. ominous headquarters. <laughs> <laughs> Spooky Baywatch. <laughs> totally leaving that in. Oh shit. <laughs> we're now we're now back at headquarters. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, by the way, before we get to headquarters, I, I do want to mention real briefly that at this point, I wrote a note to the writers of the past to say, <laughs> there is no way in hell CJ is going to go out with this guy in any way, shape or form. So your episode will 100% not lead to that eventuality. Right? Put a big fuck off pin in that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Huge fucking pin in that. All right. So spooky or not, back at Baywatch. And... <laughs> Garner shows up wearing another on the nose t-shirt, just says shoot hoops. And he's basically asking Hoff to come play basketball for him. And Hoff is just like, come on, man, you know that lifeguards can't jump. What? Yeah. Not only do they drop the, the title of the episode here, which is a nice touch, <laughs> but apparently this is a common saying and he was never good at basketball so even as a teenager he was destined to be a lifeguard because he couldn't play ball for shit well he couldn't play basketball he could play all the other balls but just something about basketball his caucasianness just fucking held him back it's true and because you know lifeguards never have to jump into the water no they don't that's more of just stepping off the pier (laughs) or guido (laughs) you know just this notion i had of because he's bad at basketball that means he's destined to become the lowly lifeguard (laughs) (laughs) he could have made it out of that middle class suburb but no he couldn't play basketball nope couldn't play basketball well (laughs) enough so now we get like a weird training montage feed me feed me yeah God, just the homoerotic undertones just rivals the volleyball scene in Top Gun. It's just no feed me. No, there's there's no just topless flexing, which is strange because that's what most of the rest of the episodes are. (laughs) That is true. But Hoff is in sleeveless t-shirt vest thing. And we all know my theory that nothing heterosexual happens in a sleeveless (laughs) t-shirt. He's just aggressively telling Hoff to feed him. And it just, it just sounds wrong or right. Depending on your point of view. Yeah. It's your job is to play defense and get me the ball. Feed me, you know, shoot it to him. But Hoff keeps repeating it as feed me. He's like, yeah, I know what to do. Feed me, not feed you. I know what to do. Feed me. We've already established that Hoff's character has a, an issue with memory. So <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's true. You got to keep it simple. Oh, God. And then, holy shit. Creepy honeymoon dude stalker montage. Oh, my God. This is <sighs> embarrassingly bad. So bad. What hurts so much is it's supposed to be funny with him fumbling around, but it's awful. It's just awful. He keeps trying to have these hiding spaces so that he can perv on CJ. 
But these hiding spaces involved photobombing other tourists and like peeking between surfboards. But then those surfboards get picked up and carried away. And he's just looking at her through binoculars. Like he's still got his fucking binoculars from earlier. Exactly. And I mean, like, let's be honest. They shoot Pamela Anderson really hot in this sequence. I get it, dude. She's rubbing lotion on herself and, you know, something we all want to see. But the way he does it, Pepe Le Pew would have thought this was much. (laughs) Pepe Le Pew would have been like, look, listen, uh, I know that women are just objects for our honeyness, but uh, dude, this is a little match, okay? You need to calm it the fuck down. He's peeking from behind a newspaper. And it, here's a crazy little detail I noticed. There's a Calvin and Hobbes comic strip on that newspaper. So they went out and got a real newspaper <laughs> for this shot. Usually like they do fake newspapers so they don't have to worry about copyright issues. I'm pretty sure Baywatch owes Bill Watterson some money for this. <laughs> If we have achieved anything, it is to make sure Bill Waterston gets his royalties. Yes, you're welcome, Bill. He peeks up from behind two girls on the beach. He just pops up behind them and none of them turn around and be like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? There's none of that. They just keep doing whatever the fuck it is they're doing on the beach. And the song does not help matters. What was the song? It was some sort of Motley Crue ripoff. Yeah, and basically talking about, oh, who's that? And look how hot she is. It's, yeah. The worst. It's just. You can't disguise stalking. You cannot disguise that as funny. It's just horrendous. But it somehow fails at being creepy, too. Like, it's just so bad. It fails at being creepy. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, because they weren't trying to be creepy, they were trying to be funny. And it is. Right, but it's just an absolute failure in every respect that it comes back around to being funny again. The beat this ends on, Pamela Anderson puts her arms out seemingly in the direction of Honeymoon Dude. And he's, oh boy, she's beckoning to me. And then, no, she's actually like holding her arms out to hug some random little boy. What? Going from sexy lotion rubbing to wholesomely hugging a child. See, she's the perfect girl for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this perving montage goes on for three solid minutes. So then we get a brief Hoff training montage, and now it is game time. We are going to f- solve this murder with the power of basketball. That's right. <laughs> So we see the dude that got aggro with the dead guy in the opening montage. He's there with the woman from earlier. So clearly they're kind of connected. Oz is hustling the crowd and they're playing the game. Well, this gal is mentioning that she knows Gardner's a cop. And the logic that follows is, well, he was friends with Tito and Tito died and now he's here. So clearly he's a cop. Yes, that is literally the fucking logic. Apparently no new people are allowed to show up to play basketball. (laughs) If you don't know somebody, they're clearly a cop. Adam West would find that logic a bit inane. (laughs) My brain blew a fuse. (laughs) Okay, I got the laugh out of Julian. I clearly haven't seen the old Adam West Batman. I need to to rectify that. Oh, my God. 
see, she wants to get out of town, but he wants to stay and get the money. And Hoff manages to get a basket in this case. And so, okay, we did your fucking game. Give us a clue. And he gives them a life insurance agent's business card. Motive. Like, you know, clear. No, what the fuck is this? And he's like, read it. And it's, it's just a general insurance card. Home. Auto. Life. Dum, bum, bum. <laughs> yeah, there should have been a dum, bum, bum there. At which point, you know, he uh, he decided to look into other facets of evidence to confirm his theory, you know, maybe interview the guy who did the insurance, you know, talk to the family. Oh, wait, no, this, no that's that was, highly that was unnecessary. myself making up, making sense of the right. actual plot. Stop <laughs> trying to make Baywatch make sense. It's not going to happen. <laughs> that's what watching the show is, is it's just a battle to try to make it make sense. <laughs> And Oz has to leave, so he says, see you later, blood. He calls Garner blood a lot, which I don't know whether that's a thing black folks called each other in the early 90s, but again, I don't think anybody who wrote this show has seen a black person outside of set. (laughs) So I don't feel qualified to speak on the matter, so leave that over there with the rest of the fire. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I am definitely not qualified. I am just asking questions. (laughs) (laughs) so now because we've not had enough of sleazy honeymoon dude yes he pretends to drown so cj will save him and she because again cj as much shit as we give pamela anderson and the perving (laughs) over she's a goddamn pro she is the best lifeguard in the whole of Baywatch. And she just is on it. She dives in. She gets him, puts the floaty red thing under him and starts swimming him to shore. And he just gives the creepiest fucking grin. The creepiest words then follow. I'd say, yeah, the words. <laughs> Go for it, Jules. Uh, no, please. I'll be I, well, I was deferring to you because I didn't write them down. It was a vague recollection. But it was like, you know, the last thing I remember was going under and then looking into the face of an angel the or face some shit like of that. an angel, yes. Uh, I think the brain cells that had to register that just committed suicide in my brain because thankfully I don't remember that. To which total fucking pro CJ says, well, it looks like you've had enough oxygen. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this is all happening on the back of the Baywatch truck with got all the first aid equipment. And he keeps trying to exaggerate his injuries so she'll do more first aid on him. Like how his leg is horribly injured and doesn't think he can walk. She's like, well, you don't have bite marks, so let's try standing up. How about it? Because again, <laughs> CJ's a goddamn pro. And as you guys were saying earlier, this is being played for laughs. This is supposed to be a humorous moment as opposed to, no, dude, you're a creepy motherfucker and none of this is appropriate. And this gets him a fucking date. Remember that big fucking pin? Not in reality, it doesn't. (laughs) Not in reality, but for some reason... In this show. In this show. This gets this creepy dude who CJ could definitely do better than... A fucking date with her. And who's clearly got creepy smile, creepy words, creepy everything. But as we shortly learn, this is a pattern. Because they're going back into the lifeguard shack, and one of the other lifeguards, I don't think it's Stephanie. It is Stephanie. She talks to Stephanie. Oh, it is Stephanie. Okay. Yeah, Stephanie's like, remember what happened the last time that you dated one of your drowning victims? (laughs) 
Yes, I remember. And the reply was, yeah, but that guy was a total dork. Have you looked at this man? I mean, he's a standard issue human being. There is nothing remarkable about him. It is crazy. Absolutely zero. If he had said something that was not creepy, maybe. But he didn't. He just said, you look like an angel. But you're right, Nick. He's not an ugly guy. He's not. He's just very unremarkable in every way. He's just plain. And quite clearly slobbering well, over yeah. Him. Yeah. And so while CJ's talking to Stephanie about her date, Garner is making a fucking phone call with an airline headset on a switchboard. An old-timey switchboard, like, yes, I need to call Klondike 4592. Like, that kind of fucking switchboard that we have to, like, plug in the line. One moment, sir, I will connect you. Yes. Why is there one of these in the middle of a 1990s lifeguard station? What in the actual fuck? Hold for station three, please. Hello, operator. (laughs) Holy fuck. After all of those times, we've seen the Hoff ADR, you know, his request for backup on the phone. This is this is where it's going, people. So it turns out that someone had taken out an illegal life insurance policy on the dead guy, and the beneficiary was his wife. Ooh. And, uh, and no, no police, police work. work. Still no police work. <laughs> he doesn't even exposit police work. It's just he shows up the next day expecting the case to resolve via his basketball Right. Games. And so Stephanie comes to Garner and says that there's a message from the lab. What? Why? How do they not have a direct line to him? Why is a lifeguard taking police murder messages? Well, she's the one who untied it from the pigeon's leg, you see. <laughs> <laughs> That means she takes the lead on the case, you know. <laughs> it's first come, first serve. That's how the <laughs> that's how the structure works. She is the police captain now, because I mean, because he's a beach cop, right? He's assigned to the beach. Is he supposed to like work with Bay? Like, I don't know what his thing is, but it just seems really weird that lifeguards are taking police messages. It's always been weird. He rides the dune buggy. Yeah, he's a beach cop. Someone's drinking too much. Maybe he has to make an arrest. That sort of thing. The credits show him. He's he's the guy on the beach buggy who drives around looking for people who drink on the beach. Yeah, he's not a homicide detective. (laughs) (laughs) But he is now, and it turns out that the dead dude had someone else's blood under his fingernails. And apparently this means that him and Hoff need to play another game of basketball to figure (laughs) out who this is. I'm picturing God as just this really irritated partner who's actually doing the lab work and... (laughs) Everything kind of goes to play basketball. Well, we actually have a lead here, God. I just... (laughs) Why would they think that playing basketball is going to lead them to the... Oh my God, my head. Because they help Oz make money by hustling people, and therefore he gives information. (sighs) Anyways, back to Honeymoon Wife. (laughs) She is feeling better and wants to spend time with her husband. But he is trying to make, because he needs to go have his date with CJ, and he's making up some bullshit excuses about why they can't hang out and why can't they can't just get room service. 
Yeah, she can't go out in the sun, and room service is going to take too long. So he'll go get some food and bring it up, and it will be just like having a picnic. When really he's trying to pull the two dates at one time, cliche. Yeah. Oh, God. And this sequence is so terrible because they try so hard to make it funny. It is mind-meltingly terrible. I mean, you can see them straining in the words of the script. It's it's just bursting out. <laughs> yep. And it's it just... It just isn't... <laughs> It's it's well, it's funny because it's sad. Yes, I guess I that mean, that's the only thing. And like many sequences in Baywatch, it just keeps going. Just keeps going. But before we get there, he gets five or six different trips up to the room and down. We might to the be table. jumping ahead of ourselves here because we get there. We get there. But basically, he takes her sandwich order, and if you didn't have enough mustard humor from the beginning of the episode, you're going to fucking get some now. Because she wants hers heavy on the mustard, and he pretends to hear no mustard. Ha, ha, ha. This is the sequence that made it impossible to laugh. I I think there's a part of my soul that died a little, and I, I can't laugh at certain things anymore. I'm sure. But guys, we have jumped the gun on the the sequence. We'll get there because we're now back on the court and Garner is wearing a dare shirt. Drug abuse resistance educations. Don't do drugs, kids. Just to keep the on the nose shirt thing going. You guys keep talking about the shirts. I want to call attention to the fact that he's the only person who doesn't wear shorts. Oh, yeah. He wears (laughs) (laughs) semi-yoga pants. Like, he wears... He's wearing Under Armour compression shorts, is basically what it is. I don't think Under Armour was a thing, but yeah, he's wearing Spantex shorts. Everyone else is wearing regular trunks that you play basketball in, and he's wearing a t-shirt and spandex. Yep, that he is. Uh, So Oz tells them that the dead dude's wife was seeing somebody else and find out it's the dude who got aggro in the opening montage. Like, spoiler alert, it's the guy we know who did it. Like, you know, we as the audience, oh shit! there's no sense of mystery because we know who killed him. We know we saw him in the opening scene. They make no attempt to do any red herrings or make anything like it was maybe the wife, but then turns out it wasn't. No, it's it's just the, the person you expected. Yep. This is the guy you, you know. You mean the person who got in a fight with the victim and was told by people, hey, watch out for that guy. He's a cop. <laughs> Turned out to do it? Yeah, it turned out the wife who was looking suspicious in the opening montage was rightly so, because she is suspicious. I wrote better mysteries in third grade, and that would turn out to be the fault of some, like, dinosaur that never appeared before in the story. I leave greater (laughs) mysteries in my toilet every morning after my coffee. Corn? (laughs) (laughs) But basically, that dude who's like been with that dead dude's wife, the one they're going to play next. And his partner is the tall white dude from earlier. Yeah, for no reason. For no reason. (laughs) We found this tall white guy, damn it, and we're going to get his money's worth. We're going to get our money's worth. We put a lot into the tall white guy budget of this episode. We had one day to shoot on this basketball court, and we had one actor. One white person to use. By God, we're using both of them. <laughs> and so the dude who is clearly the murderer is doing some sweet dunks. So Hoff turns to guard. He's like, I'll take the white guy. Okay. 
because the honeymoon dude is fucking big brained. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Matt, what a mastermind this fella is. He's having his date with CJ on the terrace restaurant outside the fucking hotel where his wife is. <laughs> that is where they're going to do this. And CJ shows up in a black dress for a lunch date. She's ready to go out to like a fancy restaurant for dinner where she's probably going to get proposed to. You know, they've been together a right. long time. This guy shows up in a shirt that's brought to you by the interior designers of Taco Bell. (laughs) (laughs) It's just that right shade of purple and pink and teal and just vomited all over the place. Oh, it is as if the 90s puked on his shirt. Again, because he has not had enough creepy lines. They're sitting at the table and... I can't believe I'm sitting here having lunch with a goddess and I screamed at my fucking computer, Rod Pavel Anderson, Rod! Just run away! I had the same reaction. I, I don't think my computer will ever survive again. I just kept remembering, this is a habit for her character. And then the best line of the show. Does the whole, where have you been all my life? And she says, very matter-of-factly, pointing at the direction of the beach, Actually, right over there. <laughs> Just it's the worst. Shit the worst. <laughs> I just live at the beach. Which we know is not true because she used to live on the river and play sex. <laughs> That's true. She, she did. Yeah, she played the saxophone to the river. Oh, God. See, they both have lies and secrets they're keeping from each other. <laughs> Her shameful saxophone past. <laughs> uh, so the waiter comes up and says that his to-go order is ready. And he lies to CJ and tells them that he ordered for his assistant that he put up in the hotel because he's such a nice guy. It's better for work, whatever fucking excuse to use, who cares? And so he says he'll be right back. And he trips on the stairs and like, uh, like again, trying uh, to do all this for laughs. Uh, uh. Does anyone have a note on the music? I was trying to figure out how to describe it, and I just can't. My brain didn't allow me to remember the music. It's It might as well be like Yakety Sax. I was in my happy place during this sequence. I was thinking like silent film during the title card interstitials. It's just like... Clearly, they thought they were doing some Charlie Chaplin shit, and no, they weren't. New. It's this wacky physical comedy of him running across the lobby yet again. Yeah, so he's running down the lobby and they're playing it for laughs. And it's not funny. They do this multiple times. And in reality, CJ leaves because that's clearly this guy's a fucking loser. <laughs> in reality. In reality, but no, she doesn't because in reality, the plot man. needs her. <laughs> I know I'm using some fancy language for Baywatch. But... <laughs> She saved him and her mama instincts kicked in. (laughs) There, now we're back on par. Florence Nightingale effect, (laughs) except the other way around. There we go. So he runs to his room and the wife is attempting to dress herself and he lies because he only brings up one sandwich and he lies and that they screwed up his order. So he's got to go back and get his order. Is this where he mentions that he hates egg salad? I don't know. And we need Pepsi. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, the whole series is spot. There's like a lot of conspicuous Pepsis throughout the show. 
You know, the trouble was, is that this sequence pissed me off so much, I was so angry I couldn't write notes. I was just, I was just staring at it, spellbound. Yeah, that's why I don't really have much for this. It's just, I remember this argument of, I need a Pepsi. I'll get you a Pepsi. Yeah, so he runs and gets her a Pepsi, and he brings her a Pepsi and lies more about his order... I don't know. He's got to go get his sandwich. Yeah, he's just doing a really shitty job at the two dates at once. Yeah. That's all it is. But he finally gets back to CJ. But back in the room, we realize he forgot to get his wife mustard. Uh Uh-oh. So we get a basketball montage. Hoff and Garner doing pretty well. Doing pretty well. Uh, In the middle of the game, Hoff gets the bright idea that they should get some of this guy's blood. To see if he's the one whose blood it was under the dead guy's fingernails. Because we couldn't just call him in as a suspect. Yeah, you could have called him as a suspect, get a warrant for DNA tests. Nope, they got to fucking like put together a ruse. And the crazy part about Garner's reaction is that he's not worried about how they're going to get the blood. He's worried about how they're going to get it to the lab. It's like, I'm a cop. I know how to make motherfuckers bleed, but how are we going to keep the sample fresh long enough to get to the lab? And luckily, there's a deus ex lieutenant waiting to solve that problem. Yes. Deus ex Stephanie or Stephanie ex machina. Because Stephanie shows up with her bicycle. (laughs) This is how crime is solved in the minds of the Baywatch writers, people. It's remarkable. (laughs) I know. What's it going to take for you to solve this murder, Garner? Well, I'm going to need two lifeguard lieutenants and a basketball. (laughs) That's a sunglasses moment right there. Two lifeguards, apply sunglasses, and a basketball. (laughs) Jesus, Carter, I didn't know you were a MacGyver. What the fuck? And I'm going to need compression shorts. None of those real basketball shorts. Those are bullshit. I want to show my thighs off to everyone. Oh, absolutely. Oh, my soul came back, Nick. Thank you. Okay, so they're talking to Stephanie. Got to get her in on the plan. And, you know, the aggro dude who clearly is the murderer says... Yeah, man, we got better things to do than wait for you all day. (laughs) I don't think this guy knows how to speak or like they were feeding him the lines with cue cards and he had to wait for them to like flip the cue card over so he could read the last. It was just the weirdest delivery of life. Not a good actor is what I'm saying. And this is the best take they got. I know. (laughs) And so now Hoff and Garner, they they kind of fight over who gets to go get his blood. (laughs) It's like, no, you get the blood. No, I'll get the blood. I'll get the-, the number of times I've had that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so finally they decide that Garner's going to make him. Make him bleed his own blood. <laughs> yeah. But it doesn't matter. This yes! was such a wasted conversation because neither of them make him bleed his own blood. Because after more basketball montage, he just trips over the mm. giant white dude and just scrapes his <laughs> yeah. knee. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> they just had to fill more time. <laughs> They're like, fuck this red time. We reached the end of the slow-mo budget for the episode. We got to find some other way. Okay, are you going to commit police brutality or am I going to commit lifeguard brutality? That's the fucking fight here. No, no. It's are you going to commit police brutality or am I going <laughs> to commit a hate crime? Okay, I'm getting John that bumper sticker for Christmas. <laughs> yes! <that's even> <laughs> <that>. <laughs> 
Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh. uh, that's a t-shirt. Either you can <laughs> 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 Oh my god, we are going straight to hell. <laughs> oh. well, I already did the Bears comment last episode. So uh, We have our own VIP section in hell. Anyways, back to the show. So basically, the ex-wife of the dead dude, who's clearly banging the murderer, comes up to him and gives him a big-ass towel to wipe the raspberry jam off his knee. His blood has seeds. And Stephanie with the epic stealth. Ido picks up a bloody towel. Nobody asks any questions. Nobody notices this. There's just <laughs> some white lady stealing a black dude's blood towel. Nobody's asking any questions. White spectators are invisible <laughs> at basketball. <laughs> oh my God. So she goes and bikes the sample off to the lab and i have in all caps in my notes why are there no other cops working on this case where are the other cops (laughs) so now we're back at the hotel because the a plot needs to wrap up and skeezy honeymoon dude is making terrible small talk with cj just further confirming that there's no fucking way in hell she would ever go on a date with him. This guy probably doesn't even know what any of the 90s erogenous zones are. It's established she has a terrible taste in men, but this just seems beyond the pale even for her character. Uh-oh, sunburned wife comes out with her sandwich. She brings her sandwich with her <laughs> to get some fucking mustard. She just needs that goddamn yellow sauce. She's not like, you know, hey, can you give me some packets of some mustard? I'll just take them to my room or just call room service and have them bring some mustard up. No, she's going to take her sandwich for a walk in search of mustard. It's just desperately trying to be funny. Ugh. It's like listening to an eight-year-old trying to hash out a joke that, that's long and convoluted. <laughs> it's so painful at all times. And the sad part is that some dumb fuckers in the 90s laughed at this. They thought this was the funniest shit they'd ever seen. Basically, he runs over to his wife to try and get her to go away. She sees CJ, and CJ comes over and calls the wife his assistant, and oh shit, she's busted, cheating on his wife on their honeymoon, And the wife starts crying really annoyingly. And CJ grabs a plate from the nearby waiter and just plops it in his face. And gross, it's egg salad. Because he hates egg salad. Anyway, so the basketball game continues. So Stephanie rides her bike back to the basketball court. Again, no police officer used. No, she brought (laughs) cops. She actually brings cops and lets them know that, yes... This dude is the killer. Big fucking reveal here. And so they all chase the dude on foot because, you know, he sees the cops and he gets spooked. And I would like to bring up that the four people who've been playing an intense basketball game for the last, I don't know how many hours, are faster than the two cops who've arrived fresh, having absolutely not run for two hours. Guards can't jump, but they can run like a motherfucker, and they eventually get him after this prolonged foot chase, and Hoff just pins him against the wall. And so 
Cops take the obvious murder away and the episode ends with Hoff. He's trying to dunk a basketball and Garner, he's got his final We Hate Racism t-shirt. Rastafarian kind of colors like love see no see no love see no color color spelt with a U. So for Julian, the correct way it is it the says, correct racism way. hurts everybody. And it's so fucking depressing how these shirts are still relevant in 2021 watching this episode. And it doesn't feel like these moments are from a bygone era. It just feels like still so fucking contemporary. And it's just, I mean, we're three white guys, so it's a lot more depressing for other people, but yeah. And turns out that the wife and the lover gave, and again, because this is what Baywatch does, it doesn't show you, it just tells you, like, Garner's come to give a fucking plot dump. Basically, they gave the dead dude an overdose of cocaine, pushed him onto the rocks to get the insurance money, make it look like he had an overdose and offed himself. And so Hoff challenges Garner to a one-on-one as a bet. Like, you know, hey, and surprise, surprise, Hoff can dunk. He dunks on Garner. And it turns out that white men can, I mean, lifeguards can jump. The end. All right. And that's Baywatch season three. We promise this is the last Baywatch episode for a long time. But before we go as millennials, we know that every movie and TV show has a moral. So Jules, what did you learn today? I learned that if your trainees don't listen to you in your workplace, you should almost drown them to teach them a lesson. Absolutely. And John, what'd you learn? I learned that it doesn't matter if you're a petulant, unreliable little brat. All that matters is you got heart, kid. (laughs) (laughs) And I learned a sexy new way to settle arguments. I love how none of our lessons came from the second episode. (laughs) We learned nothing from that episode. (laughs) Absolutely nothing. All right. And before we go, we need to tell the fine folks at home what we're doing next time. So, John, what do the folks at home have to look forward to? I'm going to tease the folks at home this time and see if they can guess from the review. Ooh, spicy. The style is minimalist Xerox macho. The Lost Patrol, Alien, Attack of the Crab Monsters, and a hundred other Last Stand and Alien invasion movies over the last 40 years all had better writing than this. (laughs) It's an ominous high-tech Stone Age mixture. Ominous because the production is high-tech. And the script and its values and mentality are Stone Age. (laughs) It is arguably one of the emptiest, feeblest, most derivative scripts ever made as a major studio movie. There's no need to do a Mad Magazine movie parody of this. It's already on the screen. If the producers or director threw out or changed some of it, it's a pity they didn't throw out more. I swear I know what this movie is but I swear that review could have worked for Avatar it it could have worked for hundreds of movies that have come out of Hollywood like let's be honest (laughs) that's right we are speaking about the much beloved classic Predator Predator! it's high time we did a Schwarzenegger flick 
And that's our show. If you liked it, please subscribe. If you loved it, please share it with all your friends. And whether you liked it or loved it, we'd appreciate it if you gave us a five-star rating on iTunes to help others find us. Also, be sure to like our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter. Links to both of those are in the show notes. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time for another episode of Millennial Rewind.